Well, my philosophy, now you can disagree with this philosophy. That's why I say it's my philosophy. When we read the scripture, I don't say my philosophy is, First Timothy, whatever, because that's not my philosophy. That's the word of God. But every now and then I'll say this is what I believe. This is just my thought on the matter, and you're welcome to take it or leave it. My philosophy as far as preaching is, of course, in the scripture it says uh, that, that we'll be ready to preach in season and out. Preach the word in season and out is what it says, which means that you preach it at times when it seems to make sense that you're preaching that, and you preach it at times where people go, why do I need to hear that right now? We know that when you preach the word out of season, and I'm not talking about out of his season, I'm talking about you're preaching a word that, that people go, I don't need that right now, that often what you're doing is you're preparing them for a time where they will need it. Because how many of you know that you don't put on the seatbelt after you hit somebody? Right? You put on the seatbelt before. There are things you do before. And, and, and getting the word in you is something you do before. And so um, that's important to be able to preach the word, whether it seems to be in fashion, in vogue, in style or not, you preach the word. But on the other hand, uh, there is a preaching in season as well. He does say preach in season and out. So you don't always just preach uh, these way out there, pie in the sky sermons and uh, ignore what's really going on. We're all here as a family. And as a family, we've come together and we, I believe the love of a family is strong. I believe that the the, the faith of a family is strong, and I believe it's important for us to acknowledge uh, that as a family of God, it is, as we've said in the past couple weeks, uh, as we've taught, there is, a, there is a responsibility to edify one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another. This has been a rough week for many of us. Um, the moving of Maria to heaven has not been an easy thing for I know for our family, and I know for, for many of you, it's been the same thing. It's important that we turn and face it head on instead of ignoring what's going on. But you don't face it the way the world faces it. You face it with the word. You face it with the power of the spirit. You face it with hope. Even in the midst of not liking the circumstance, you face it with hope. And that's the difference. It's not that we go around with fake smiles on our faces, imagining that nothing has ever gone wrong. It's that we have the answer for when things do go wrong. Now, that answer may not be as particular and precise as you want it. The answer is, is the answer to everything, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the answer. That spirit is the answer. The love of God is the solution. And a lot of times we look for earthly solutions or real intellectual thought out answers when what you need to start with is Jesus and let him fill in the blanks. I think it's important that we that we're able to address that and go to the word and find comfort and find strength from the word of God. When my father died, I did not have all the answers. Now, I should say he didn't die when he went on to heaven. I mean, that's not death, is it? That's. That's that's anything but death. That's life. But when he went on to heaven, there were a lot of questions and there were always going to be questions. And there's some questions. Let me tell you the truth about the matter, for me, at least. There were some questions I got that first month. There were questions that that seemed to get answers, you know, four years down the road. Does that seem fair? (laughs) Sometimes you go, I just want them all now. God, can you send me an email? And here are my questions. And I just want the answers. I want chapter and verse. I want everything here. And there are some answers, and I know this may be challenging, but we have to understand that the mind, our soul, and our spirit are two different things. 
How many of you know that your mind is still being renewed? Your mind's not perfect. And you don't know everything God knows. And there are some things that we don't even have the capability at this point to understand by the natural mind. We understand them by the Spirit. And so there's things about my father moving to heaven that, that I get on a certain level. That, that now I understand that I feel that my spirit is at perfect peace. And I feel like I've got an answer. But it's not up here. As weird as that sounds, if you ask me, well, what is that answer? I'd, I'd give you a lot, but I couldn't give you everything. Because there are some things that you know in the spirit. You know deep down here that you can't even put into words. There are other things with concerning other people. I believe that God gives you certain answers because, you know, that was my father. But there are times where you ask God, well, what about this person? What about that person? And, and the answer, and I know this sounds rude, but maybe God only talks to me like this. But every now and then he says, none of your business. <laughs> and you go, what? <laughs> you know, none of your business. And, and, and it's, not that, uh, it's not that he's mean, but it's that we don't know all the factors. And there are a lot of factors we don't know. What we do know is that God is the great physician. What we do know is that he commanded us. I didn't say advise us or ask us, but he commanded us to lay hands on every sick person we come across. Believing, and he told us to believe that we would have it the moment we prayed it. Now, how many miracles have you seen in your lifetime? I just, I mean, just think about it. Just take an internal survey. I mean, I'm not talking about miracles of like, I took an Advil and I prayed at the same time and the headache went away. I'm talking about couldn't deny it was God miracles. Now, you may not be able to say this in every group of Christians, but in this building, you can, you can each name more than your hands can count. And I've seen ones that were just like freaky. I mean, you know, and we've, 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 We've been a part of, you know, paralyzed people that can walk that, that week. Now that, they've been paralyzed for years. You pray for them, they walk that week. That's not um, coincidence. That's not willpower. That's the power of God. So your first instinct has got to go back to who God is and what his word says. Always. And you go, he says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He says, by his stripes we were healed. Now, when you go, well, why, well, what about this person? What about that person? There are times where we don't know all the factors. And it is a mistake and an error to try to figure those factors out if God hasn't given you revelation on it. And that's a very important thing to remember. You know, um, if uh, Chance and Denny hadn't, uh, you know, if, if, well, I'm not going to use them because Chance is at the sound booth, and I would be asking why he wasn't here. Um, if he was on the sound booth, because we need Chance on the sound. But, you know, let's say Spiro and Tina. Um, if, if they didn't show up to church tonight. I know Spiro and Tina, they're pretty faithful people, aren't they? Now, I'm not comparing them with God. He's eternally faithful, and, and there's only a limit to your faithfulness, but they're, they're about as faithful as people come. Can you imagine if they just didn't come to church today, and we didn't know why, and we started speculating as to why they didn't come to church today? Well, Spiro and Tina, well, I wonder if they're having marital problems. Oh, I, well, I wonder if they had a flat tire. No, you know what I bet it was? I, I bet it was this. I bet there was a program on television that they couldn't miss. You know, and in all that speculation, we don't know every factor that went into that decision. And there are some things that would only be between Spiro and Tina that, quite frankly, they don't have to tell you everything. And so there are times where in somebody's life, we don't know what happened between them and God. We don't know the conversations that took place. We don't know what, what, what was said. We don't know what, what uh, was thought. We don't know the intentions. All we know is God is good. And we know that Maria fought the good fight of faith. 
Do you know the biggest mistake you can make is try to blame somebody without having revelation to try to blame somebody for why they didn't get a miracle? It, it, it is flat out the human nature to try to say, well, it wasn't God's fault, so it must have been your fault. And, and that's a problem, and I'll tell you why. First of all, when Peter and John healed that man by the gate called Beautiful, remember that? What was the response? It was not by our own piety, our own personal holiness that this person got healed. It was by the name of Jesus. So when we start looking at people, we start putting the answer on people instead of the answer in Jesus. The second thing is, if you look, the scriptural record, history is not on the side of those that, that blame people for things they don't understand. Remember Job's friends? You must have sinned at some point, buddy. Why are you, are you, I don't know what you did, but you did something pretty bad. Tick God off. Well, we find out because we get the book, we got the background story. It wasn't God at all. It was Satan that actually put this on Job. And nobody knew that, but they're trying to figure out why would God be so mad at Job that he had to do this. And so they end up causing a whole bunch of problems and God comes out. And I love the speech God gives. He goes, who dares to darken my counsel without knowledge? Can you imagine? He probably didn't use his Care Bear voice. He probably used, he probably used the, the, you know, who dares? You know that one. I'm sure he's got a few. And who dares to darken my counsel without knowledge, right? And he goes in. He starts schooling Job because even Job has begun to, to, to say some things about God. He's begun to blame God in certain areas. And um, God says, you know, hey, Job, do you know where we make the snow? No. No, you don't know that. Do you know what it looked like before there were any oceans? No, you don't know that. Hmm. Job, it turns out, he goes, you know, and... and, and God actually gets sarcastic. I don't know how that jives with your personal theology. But there are a couple of times where he goes, you know, surely you know since you're so old and wise. Oh, boy. That's enough, God, that I have all these boils over my body. You have to be sarcastic with me. But you know what God did? He totally turned everything around and gave him double what was stolen from him. But the important point is here that God didn't have very nice things to say about those that claim to have the answers when they didn't get revelation from God about it. They just tried to speculate because human nature is, is we have to know why. We always have to know why. You got to tell me why. And sometimes you just don't know why. What you do know is a constant, and that is God. The constant is his word, and the constant is his faithfulness. All other things, your experience is flawed, and I'll tell you why. God is always true and your experience often lies. You may say, that seems backwards. My experience is tried and true. I was there. The Bible, I don't know. It was written a long time ago. We don't know how true that is. No, no, here's the deal. The Bible has been proven time and again. Not only that, but we know that it is the very word of God. And every single person in this room has been changed by that word. I'm not talking about affected by it. I'm talking about transformed by it. Something that you couldn't do just by reading a book in Oprah's book club. This changed you. I mean, I'm talk, I mean this, is the, this is the proof of the word to me. is the supernatural results in every person's life in this room. And so we know that this is true. Now, what about our experiences? Well, our experiences are flawed because we don't have the same view as, ever, as God has. We don't, we don't see every factor. You don't, you don't, I mean, you say, well, I was there. I experienced it, but... You know, how did you how much did you really experience it? 
it's almost like a blind guy saying, I saw it all. I was there when the bank was robbed. I can describe it to you perfectly. Your experience has flaws. We have limited sight. And so it's wrong for us to try to say all the time, I know why this happened. That's the biggest thing. We, we want to comfort each other with, I know why this happened. Or, and I know why this didn't happen. When sometimes what you've got to say is, you know, I don't know. But I do know who I believe. And I do know the word of God. And the next person with that disease that comes across my path, I'm going to pray for them as if I've never seen anyone die. And that's a hard thing to do, but it's a mature thing to do. Because you know that God is good. And you know that he is faithful. And you know that that's the last thing that Jesus told us to do was to do that. So we obey it. And you know, I don't have to, I don't have to feel better about myself by having every answer. I know that there, I will have every answer at some point. Whether on this earth or in heaven, we'll get the answers. But the biggest answer you've got to know is Jesus is. And I don't know all the factors. And some of those factors are between Maria and God. But I'm not, I know that Maria was faithful. And I know that Maria fought the good fight. And I know that she was, she died, as, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, she died, she, she didn't, doesn't say she died, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15 says she fell asleep in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful way to say it? Fell asleep in Christ. That means, first of all, because you know, we've said this many times before, but in the New Testament, it doesn't ever say a saint died. It says they fell asleep. They fell asleep because there's this knowledge. It is so temporary. That death is not death anymore. Death has no power over you. It is just a temporary thing like like going to sleep. When your kids go to sleep. Do you walk out of the room and you come back and you find them with their eyes closed and they're lying still? And do you freak out and call 911? Oh, no, they, you know, because, you know, they'll wake up. It's temporary. My child's not moving. Their eyes are closed. Yeah. Did, did you shake them a bit? No. Oh, they woke up. Yeah, that, that was just sleep. It's temporary. So it says when we fall asleep, it is temporary. Death no longer has power. In fact, we'll go back in a moment. We'll go back to the verse in First Timothy that we, that we uh, studied from on Sunday just to pick up from that point. So it says that those who fell asleep in Christ... They are in Christ and we're going to meet him again. And the reason that death is not used is because death is is always indicative of separation. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What before they sinned? What did God say? If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And then Eve ate of it and she still seemed like she was fine. So she offered it to Adam. Well, we find out later that the death he's talking about is not just a physical death. They didn't drop dead the moment they ate that fruit. They died spiritually. They were separated from God. That's what death is. You see, we call it death here because we're temporarily separated from somebody. But the real true death is to be separated from God. And you will never be separated again. And so we always, that's why Jesus said... He who eats of me, the bread of life, will have eternal life. He says, he who believes in me will never die. What a great thing. We'll never, ever be separated from the source of life again. Have you ever thought about eternity? How short this moment's going to be? Now, I believe you're going to live long. I believe you're going to uh, accomplish 
you know, more than, more than everybody expects you to accomplish. I believe that you'll, you'll live long in the power of God and, 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 and you, you know, do whatever God calls you to do. But listen to this. Once you get into eternity, 20, 30 years isn't going to be a big deal. It's like that. It's that fast. This time isn't the, the only thing that goes on. This time on earth is a, is a very important time. But it's not the length of the race, it's what you did in the race that really matters. Did you run the race? Did you endure, as the scripture says, did you endure to the end? That's the question. What you did on this time, it's really not going to, I mean, it's not going to be a, it, I'm talk, it's a big deal to us now, but it may not be a big deal a thousand years into eternity how long you lived here. It's how you lived here. And that's going to be the big thing. Now, I want you to fight. <laughs> I want you to believe to live long. I don't want you to, I mean, I, you know, sometimes, you know, my mom has, has these great books about heaven. And, uh, and I, I've tried not, I, I like them because I believe we should know about heaven. We should live for eternity, right? But, but I also don't want to think too much about it because, you know, my concern is, if I turn my eyes too far to thinking about how wonderful it's going to be, next time I get a cold, I'm just going to go, take me, Jesus, you know? And, and that's not a good thing. We need to fight and stay as long as we can. But the, the, the thing is, is it's a short period. It's a short time. And, um, you know, even though we mourn this brief separation, there is never a permanent separation again. There's never going to be a permanent separation. Never a permanent separation from God. And never a permanent separation from, from your fellow believers. There is a temporary separation. That's what we've experienced now. As to why there's been an ex- a temporary surf, uh, separation this early in her life, I don't know all the answers. But I know the answer is Jesus Christ. And his word is always true. And so you don't have to go and look. But remember what happened when the disciples, when there was a man born blind. And the disciples said, They tried to look for answers why he'd be born blind, right? They tried to explain why that could have happened. And they said, who sinned, this man or his his parents? Now, of course, we know that's a ridiculously stupid question because I don't know any fetuses that are going and robbing banks. He was born blind. Did he sin? When? You know, when does this guy have a chance to sin? And then his parents, what kind of God would do that? You know, say, well, listen, I I don't want to punish you guys. I'll do something worse. I'll punish your innocent child. That's not God. And so, you know, God didn't make that man blind. He didn't cause him to be blind. The man was born into a broken world, a, a world that still lives under the curse. And your spirit, when you got born again, your spirit was made brand new and is eternal and cannot be touched by this world. Your body. See, this when the scripture talks about redemption, When it talks about our spirit, it's a past redemption. When it talks about our body, it's always in the future. Your body is going to be redeemed. There will be a day when you get a redeemed body, a resurrected body, but you don't have it yet. So you still have a body that has to deal with a broken world, that has to deal with the curse. But thank God, he is our healer. What's inside affects your body. What, I mean, this is, this is the life of God. It's the life of God that kept Maria alive 18 months longer than she should have been alive. But at the same time, you can't stop 
And, and the biggest mistake you could ever make is to say, well, I don't know. My faith is shaken. I don't know if the next time somebody comes to me and goes, I've got this disease, if I'm going to be able to pray for them. You've got to do what Jesus told you to do. Forget your circumstances because you don't know everything. What you do know is that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ never told a lie. And when he told you to do it, and when he told you how to pray without doubting, that's what we do. That's what we do. So there are things that you don't know, and there are things that you know. Stick to what you know. Don't sit around in circles trying to figure out, well, maybe it was this and maybe it was that. Because we get into error when we do that. Unless the Lord gives you revelation. And sometimes he gives you revelation that's just for you. I want to read you something real quick. Let's go to the book of Acts. And then we'll get back to where we're heading tonight. In Acts 12. There's still, even after the uh, murder of Stephen, there is still a prosperous church in Jerusalem. A thriving church. In fact, all the apostles are in Jerusalem. All 12 of them are there. Um, I'm talking about the original apostles. There were, of course, other apostles, but the original 12, the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, they were all still in Jerusalem. So you can imagine, that would have been a cool church, hey? <laughs> I mean, I mean you, got, you got these mega stars basically i mean that's not what they were but these these guys that walked with jesus and the guys that saw the first miracles and they were there on the day of pentecost i mean can you imagine being in the same church as these guys rubbing shoulders with i mean tell me again what was it like on the day of pentecost i mean when you say like a rushing wind how like a rushing wind was it you know tongues of fire did that burn you know i mean these are all things you ask or maybe i would ask and, and you'd be smart enough to keep your mouth shut while I ask the silly questions. But in this church, they're still in Jerusalem, which, of course, as you know, is the hotbed of anti-Christian activity, the hotbed of uh, persecution. It's probably the most dangerous city to be in. There were Gentile cities that do a lot worse things to you, but Jerusalem, they knew you were there, and they're looking for you. And many of them had hardened their heart. In Acts 12, verse 1, now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some. That doesn't mean he formed a prayer line and started to pray for them. He laid hands on them violently. He grabbed them. Laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with his sword. These, this is the famous James. James and John, the sons of thunder. Now, you know, John lives longer than anybody. He ends up going to the very end. I mean, John was the last of the original apostles to die. So he lived a long, long age. But his brother James is the first one of the 12 to die. That doesn't seem fair, does it? James is put to death by the sword. And when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. That was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized them, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But, now we know that but means that there was something that stood in the way of Peter's execution. There was something that kept Peter from being executed. What was that factor? But the church, but prayer for him, sorry, was being made fervently by the church to God. 
said Herod had desired to do the same thing to Peter, but the church was offering up prayer fervently to God on his behalf. Now, does that mean that the church wasn't praying for James? Probably not. I don't know if they were praying more fervently. Maybe James woke him up a bit. But, but can you imagine the reaction? What if they had said, wait a second. I didn't know that these were the rules of the game. I didn't know James could die. What if John had said, my brother just got executed. I don't feel like praying for anybody right now. What if they had said, well, it didn't. I mean, I don't know. James died. Well, why not Peter too? I guess we're losing everybody. You see, there was a natural reaction to give up. When something you don't get happens, when something that doesn't make sense happens, the natural reaction is to shrink back and become afraid and fearful to put yourself out there again. But the church, thank God, didn't do this. What did they do? They, they, they may have had questions about James. I'm sure they had lots of questions, guys. But don't let those questions let you get in the way of doing what God called you to do. And so instead of spending all the time crying and, and, and saying, I don't know, I mean, we don't know why, we don't know why, we don't know why, I'm sure they mourned James because James was beloved. He was one of the leaders. That's why Herod picked him. But what did they do? They just said, well, the next time it happens, when they grabbed Peter, they weren't discouraged by what happened to James. They said that may have happened, but we're praying for Peter as if it's as if we've never seen a, a loss, as if no one, as if we've never seen somebody be executed. We're going to pray for him with the same passion we'd pray for anybody. And Peter, if you read the rest of the story for the sake of time, we'll just summarize it. An angel comes and gets Peter out of the prison. Peter shows up at the prayer meeting. And they don't even believe it's him. They're so surprised he's there. Would, would you like that to happen? Where even though something goes differently than you prayed, the next time it happens, you pray again. Because there are going to be people that walk in this door that are going to need you to stand in faith for them. And you can be that one who says, I'm burnt out, I tried this before. Or you can be the one that stands in the gap in the power of God and sees the power of God released into their life. Even though you don't have all the answers, you do have the word of God. And that's what you need to get through every situation. And that's what you've got to do. I urge you, I entreat you, I beg you, be who you were called to be. And those answers, when you get to heaven, you'll have them all. But right now, what you need is the answer, and that's the word of God. And you stand up. And you know what? How many of you have ever thought about the fact that you could get 100 compliments in a day, but the one negative thing someone says about you affects you more than everything? Has that ever happened to you? Where you like, people are like, you're awesome, I love you. <laughs> and then somebody goes, you just, I mean, you just get on my nerves. Or you hear that somebody said that to somebody else that got back to you. And all of a sudden, your day is wrecked. And you just think, I'm a loser. Nobody likes me. And you begin to think about these things. Why do we let that happen? And we do that in the same in the body of Christ. We see miracle, miracle, miracle. And then you see something that doesn't quite jive. And you go, oh, it just doesn't work. We don't need to be that kind of people. And if you, I mean, you do, don't do it for me. Do it for the Lord. Do it for Maria. Do it for yourself. But stand up for the next person that comes in with a disease. You pray for them with everything you got on. And don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you've said is coming and has already come. That's what Jesus told us to do. And that's what we will do.
You don't know all the factors. You don't know everything. All you know is what Jesus told you to do. So do that. And you'll get all the answers. And you may get some on this life. You may get some in the next. But you'll get them all. What you're going to be very happy that you did is just obey the voice of the Lord and, and said, there are things I don't know, Lord, but you know everything. And he saw all of this when he wrote this book. He saw it all. He's already seen the movie. And he still said what he said. You can trust him. He's faithful. Amen. Let's go back to First Timothy, where we left off on Sunday. Sorry, 2 Timothy. My apologies. And we're not going to read everything we read last Sunday because I believe we did study it out quite well. And if you weren't there on Sunday, you know, you can go on the website and check it out and listen to it there, or you can get a CD, or you can just ask somebody, what did we talk about on Sunday? And uh, get, the, get the summary of that. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 8, um, of course, uh, Timothy is being encouraged to, to step up and not shrink back. And Timothy has seen his father in the faith get arrested and taken. And this is Paul writing to him saying, this is my last letter. I'm going on to be with Jesus. Now, that's a hard letter to get, isn't it? But he says, Timothy, don't you dare shrink back. Timothy, you kindle that gift. Timothy, you have not been given the spirit of timidity, but of love, of power, and of discipline. So, Timothy, you don't back down. Timothy, you don't be afraid. You, although there's things that make you seem like you should be afraid, you don't be afraid. You stand up and you be who God called you to be, Tim. And he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. We told you that before, that that doesn't just mean having pain in your life. He means when they persecute you, you keep going. When they try to stop you, you keep going. They throw rocks at you, you keep going. That's what he means. You keep, you endure even under harsh treatment. He says, but it's not just in your own strength. It is according to the power of God. God enables you when things get tough. God enables you to keep going. He enables you to, to step through. He enables you to not give up when everybody else in the world would give up. You can stand because it's according to the power of God. That says this. Join with me in suffering uh, for the sake of the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. That means that, that it's been granted you way before you were born. He saw you way before he had a plan for your life. He had a purpose and a destiny for you. And there was grace for you. And it says this, but it now it was from all eternity. But now it has been revealed by the appearing of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death. I want you to hear that he abolished death. What does that mean? He put a total end to it. He put an end to death. He stole its power. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Immortality is not just the stuff of comic books, guys. This is the real deal. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
Remember what we said about death? What's death? Death is separation. And you were created and designed to be connected with God in his in 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 connected to that life force, connected to him who is the source of all life. He is life. And when you're separated from him, that's death. And guys, if you were to die separated from him, that would be a horrible thing. But that's not your destiny. Because you have because you've received Jesus, because you've accepted his sacrifice, death has been abolished. And through the gospel, what does that mean? Because of what Jesus did for you and because of your accepting of his righteousness in place of your own, his death, you died with him. And so you're raised with him because of that gospel. You have found and been what's been revealed to you is life and immortality. Means you'll never die. It has been revealed by Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom. Like we said on Sunday, it's not I know what. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced And this is what we need to be is absolutely convinced. Remember we said it's okay to say I don't know. There are things it's okay not to know and there's some things that you have to know. And what you have to know and you must be convinced is that he is able to guard what you've entrusted him to that day. You know, Abraham set out. The scripture says he set out from his homeland not knowing where he was going. And that was okay not to know where you're going. What did he know? He knew God. He knew his faithfulness. He knew God said, I'm bringing you to a land that I will show you and I will give you. And that's all Abraham needed to know. You see, when you know God, when you're when you know him, sometimes you all you need to know is you need to be so sure of who he is that you're okay with not knowing some other things, that there are other details that you'll find out later. But your life isn't hinging on those little details. That's how you set up. Set out just like Abraham, going where you don't know you're going to go. You don't know where he's leading you, but you know he's faithful. You know his word is true. And so you don't say, well, I don't know. I'm afraid. You're not afraid. Life isn't about knowing all the answers. It's about knowing the answer. It's about knowing him. If you know him, he has the answers and he'll show you these answers. But there are things that, quite frankly... If he told us everything now, you'd be overwhelmed. If he told you, can you imagine? You know the moment you got born again? Can you imagine if God told you everything you'd ever do in your life? You'd freak out and run away. <laughs> you know, this is you're going to do this? You're gonna do, you're gonna, no, I'm not. I don't know who you're talking to. You must have thought I was something. You know, there's a person in the phone book who has the same name as me. I see how you made that mistake. But I'm not the one. So God lays it out step by step. When you step into this, then you know more. You step into this, you know more. That's how he designed it. We grow. We're built. You don't know everything at once, but you know him. And when you know him, that's what matters. You know his word. That's what matters. Everything else will come into line. The sheep, when they're, when they're led by the shepherd, they don't know where they're going, but they know that the shepherd loves them. They know that the shepherd will feed them. They know the shepherd keeps them from wolves. They know the shepherd knows where the still waters are. So what do they do? They follow the shepherd and his voice and no one else's voice. 
And when they get there, they go, oh, I get why we went this way. But can you imagine if the sheep said, no, 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 we're on strike. We're waiting until you tell us everything. I want to know everything about this trip. I want to know where we're going. I want to know. I mean, they, don't have, they can't comprehend everything. What's the most important thing for them to do? Listen to the shepherd. Listen to his voice. Follow him. And when you follow him, at the right time, you step into a new answer and you step into a new truth and you step into new understanding as you grow, as you grow, as you mature, you understand more. You know, the spirit of God that he put inside you is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and wisdom. So there is understanding, there is truth, but it is something that you grow into and you don't get all at once. The most important thing is you follow his voice. I want us to go to 1 Thessalonians 4 and we're going to end on this note. You know, it's funny. We read this chapter mostly at funerals, but you know, I believe the word of God is not just for funerals or weddings. There are, I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes we just preach like 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding or, or Ephesians 6, you know, or, or this at a funeral. And, you know, you need to be built up. It's like, it's like, have you ever wondered? I mean, the virgin birth is a huge deal, right? Jesus being saved from Herod is a two year, big deal. Huge deal. Right? Why do we only hear about that at Christmas time? Why is the only time we talk about Jesus getting up from the grave around April? That's the biggest moment in history. I mean, that's like a, every Sunday for a year you could preach on that. So we get sometimes in these ruts where we're like, oh, you know, we can't preach about Jesus as a baby. That's Christmas. <laughs> we can't talk about the shepherds. Christmas time. Do you know there are a lot of good things you can learn from the shepherds and the wise men? And to them, it wasn't Christmas time. It was just life. (laughs) So you can learn a lot from their life. At the same time, this chapter, I know we read a lot at funerals, but this is written to believers. This letter was not read at a funeral. It was read in a church. Paul didn't say, open this when someone dies or falls asleep. No, he says, read it now. First Thessalonians 4. But we, don't, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. So there are some things that you do need to be informed about, right? He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are, what does it say? Asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. There is a, a deep, an inconsolable grief that comes from permanent separation. And though you may, time may heal some things and you may forget your memories, clean things up. For someone who does not know the Lord, there will always be a hole from that separation that can never really be filled. Not for us. Oh, I miss, I miss my father. I miss Maria already. But it's not the same as never being able to see them again. You know, when Tia and I go to Spokane to preach there, I come back and mom, mom sometimes asks. She says, I missed you. I go, oh, I love you. And she goes, did you miss me? <laughs> and sometimes I go, I wasn't gone that long. <laughs> what a dumb thing to say, right? <laughs> Be nice to your mother. Tell her that you missed her. I do. She's so valuable. But, and, and that's the truth. That's not, that's not just nice words. I, I do miss her. 
But, you know, for me, when I'm gone a week, I sometimes don't see her but once or twice a week when I'm here. So, you know, sometimes when I'm gone a week, I'm like, honestly, we were really busy. And I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's, yeah, just move on, right? It's fun being a man. So, um, <laughs> so anyways... You know, there is a missing that takes place when you're gone for a couple weeks. But, you know, it, it's, not, it's not inconsolable. Why? Because I'm going to see them in a couple weeks. You still miss them. But there's a different type of, of missing them because you say, this is temporary. It's a temporary separation. It's never permanent. And so when we say they're asleep, it is a temporary separation. And these few years that you walk this earth between now and the time that you're with Jesus are going to seem very short when you're standing in the light of eternity. It's going to seem like that. Pastor Tracy Harris, when my father went on to be with the Lord, said this to me or to us. We were sitting in my grandmother's living room. And he said, eternity is so quick. When you're there, time passes so by. Even this, I mean, there, there, there isn't time up there, right? So sometimes time is just... It's not the same. You know, the scripture says a a day is like a a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. Like it's just right. And he said, he said, you ever walk through one of those revolving doors and, and, you know, there's only room for one person. And so your family comes behind you and you have to wait for them as they come through. He goes, when you when you're the first one through, you don't turn back and go, I'm separated from my family. You don't you don't grieve for them because they're right there. They're just right there behind you in the carousel. They're walking through. He goes, your father. To him? To us, it's, it's, it seems like such a long time since we, till we get to see him again. But to him, it's like they're right behind me. It's like, it's like they're right behind me in the doorway. He's not going to have to wait a long time for us. He's just, it's, we're just right behind him. We're coming. We'll be there so, so soon. I mean, once you get an eternity, this time on earth is just going to be like, I can't believe... I can't believe how short that was. That's why you make the most of the time you're here. The time is short and the time is valuable. The scripture talks about redeeming the time, buying it back. And so, so there's this quick moment. And, and, and when we talk about them being asleep, I love that. Because it's just like Jesus said about Lazarus. He's only sleeping. It's just like he said about Jairus' daughter. She's only sleeping. Why? It's temporary, guys. It's temporary. There is a, a reunion coming, and it's quicker than you think. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. By reversing that, what can you figure out? If they're the rest has no hope, what does that mean we have? We have hope. Now this is the hope that's got to ground you, be your anchor through every situation, through every family member that goes on before you, because many of them will. The odds are that you're not going to outlive, I mean, that that, I'm sorry, that everybody's not going to outlive you. You're going to outlive a whole lot of people, and you've got to have a hope. You've got to face it with hope. Here's what it says. For if we believe, now this is the question. Here's what changes everything. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's what you've got to know. Remember, we talked about things you've got to know. And things that maybe you don't need to know right now. One of the things you've got to know is that Jesus died 
And here's the good news. He rose again. Even so, in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Once again, just like in 1 Corinthians 15, it says they've fallen asleep in Jesus. Oh, isn't that wonderful? It's the difference, guys, between falling asleep in a ditch and falling asleep in a minivan with your parents. We've fallen asleep in him. What a safe, what other safe place could there be? When you fall asleep in him, you're kept, you're held. There is nobody that can touch you. There's no danger. There's no foe. Falling asleep in the arms of the Savior is the safest place to fall asleep. You have fallen asleep in him. In his In him, your life, as the scripture says, your life is hidden in him. You stand with his righteousness. You have his spirit. He's in you. You're in him. So falling asleep in him is so safe. And so, so good. And on this end of things, it's hard. Because we're left with the pieces. And we're left with missing somebody. But to them, it's the most beautiful. I used to fall asleep in the van on the way home. After a long trip, waking up in my own bed was the most glorious thing. Sometimes I would pretend I was asleep (laughs) so that dad would carry me in. Did you do that too? I would, I just love that feeling of being on a road and we'd be on the road for a long time sometimes and sometimes like the last stop was Minot and who really cares about Minot you know and 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 so we're just on the road through southern Saskatchewan it's not the prettiest part of the world well southern is then you get into Lloydminster area and it's just a lot of plains and you get to Loon Lake and and um we'd I'd wake up in my own bed how beautiful is that for us it's tough because we're we're still there without them but for them For those that have gone ahead of us, they've fallen asleep in Christ. And it says, for this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. That's important. This is not a man's opinion. This is by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So the question that the Thessalonians are asking is, if they go go on before us, are they still going to be a part of the resurrection? Or did they miss that? And he says, God's going to bring them back. God will bring them back with him. Isn't that cool? So when Jesus comes, he brings all these saints and resurrects their physical bodies. Listen, most of the people that died, their bodies don't even exist anymore. But he creates something. He, he'll, he'll gather them up and they get to go up with us and we meet him in the air. And when we meet him, we are changed. Listen to what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. Isn't that awesome? This is what he's not coming back with a whimper. He's coming back with a bang. He comes back with a shout, the voice of an archangel and a trumpet. I mean, I'd say God's one for fanfare. And when he comes back, he comes with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And listen to this. Remember, death is all about separation. And we, so we, shall always be with the Lord. I want you to hear that, and I want you to remember that, and I want that to be the phrase that rings in your ears throughout this week, throughout this year, throughout every year of your life. Whenever you face this, 
And so we will always be with the Lord. So we shall always be with the Lord. Now listen to what it says here. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, this is meant to be a comfort to you. We sometimes try to comfort each other. You know, I, I'm one of those people that I really don't like those little platitudes that show up on a plaque somewhere that I don't, that I think, you know, I mean, like, you know, you're going to see your Shih Tzu someday in heaven. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, this voice of Mufasa saying, I'm always with you. No, you're not. Oh, I, your dad was at your first baseball game. No, he wasn't. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't like those little, those little nice little sayings. People say, well, you know, you're, you know, your, your friend who passed away is going to be playing with you on that piano. No, he's not. I don't like those little things. I, I want to base my hope on truth. I don't want somebody to just say something nice that they're just pulling out of their hat. Make me feel better. Oh, his spirit's always with us. No, it's not. He's with Jesus. You know, and, and Jesus is always with me. And that's what I need to know. So, I mean, I don't need all these little, you know, these, these, these soft little things that really don't mean anything. So here it gives you something. Here's how you comfort one another. Don't make up things. Don't go, well, I just think. Stop thinking and repeat what the Lord says. Because once again, you don't have everything. You don't know everything. What does it say? They're coming back. We're all going up together and we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort each other with these words. Now, body of Christ, family of God, this is the time where we need to edify, encourage and comfort one another. Please do not make the mistake of withdrawing in times like these and saying, I just need to deal with this myself. Please don't do that. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. How do you build one another up? Through love with the word. But love is the key. Ephesians 4 says, building up of itself in love. Speak the truth in love. Whatever you say to each other, let it be in love. There is hope. There is comfort and there's encouragement. It's found in the things we know, not the things we don't know. It's okay not to know everything as long as you know the, the, the one thing you need to know. And that's everything that his word says is true. That's he's faithful. You know him, it's okay if you don't know everything else. You know the word. And the next time, next time we have something, next time something comes up, you stand on the word, not on experience, but on the word. Because the word is what's true. Your experience, we don't know everything that happened with our experiences. We just saw a glimpse of what happened. We didn't see everything. We don't know everything. What we do know is the word is true.